welcome back to another episode of the Best of All Possible Podcast, Panglossian Productions' 10-Minute Play Podcast. I am your host, Robert Weathers, and we here at Panglossian Productions, as you know, have a love for the weird. We love the unproduced and underproduced, and of course, we love 10-Minute Plays. And we have a great one for you here tonight. Uh, but we don't read these plays with just me here. Lucky you. We have a wonderful team of talented actors who join us. And joining us here tonight to read is none other than Sharon Hollins. Hi, Sharon. Welcome. I hope you've had a nice week off since we recorded last. Oh, wow. It went like that. Like that. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's almost as yeah. if we didn't even get up from the table, See, isn't that, it? You know, it was a great week. I ate almost nothing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> This, is a, this joke is hilarious to us. <laughs> Joining us, something else is also hilarious, Josie Arco! Hey. Joe, aren't you wearing the same beanie and flannel shirt you were wearing last week, too? That's a poor indicator, though, because I have but one beanie that I wear constantly and multiple flannel shirts, of which only one I wear constantly. I thought you and Colin Farrell had traded outfits. That's, that's, that's really the look I'm going for. Good. Thank you. Thank Good. you. You, sir, and your fashion compliments are something. Thank you. As I'm literally wearing a quickie mark pin with my name on it. Quickie mark name tag. Thank you, sir. I will look to you in the future. Please don't sue us, Simpsons. Hey, this was merchandise that was for sale at Universal Studios. So, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who haven't turned it off yet, (laughs) this week we are reading a play called The Motel by Laura Lewis Barr. Now, uh, for those of you who have not listened to the podcast before, this is a cold read, so the actors have not looked upon these pages before. As a matter of fact, they don't even know who they're playing. But I'm going to tell them right now. <laughs> they're, they're laughing because there's two characters in this play. One of them is husband, and one of them is wife. I, in all fairness, the it also says that the casting can be rather open on that one. That's true. So, it does say that. And I, I'll get to that, Joe, because I read the stage direction. Shut up. <laughs> You're letting the, the, the listeners leave. Can I leave now? Is that... I didn't say they could leave. They just did. <laughs> Sit down, Joe. Get your own podcast. So, as a matter of formality, I guess, Sharon, will you please read Wife? <laughs> Y'all, Joe is leaning into his microphone. He's got something hilarious to say. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm anxious. Please. Joe, yes. will you please read Husband? I can do that, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, I will read... The stage directions, without any further ado, we present to you The Motel, a 10-minute drama by Laura Lewis Barr. The synopsis is, a woman runs away from her husband only to find that an eerily similar man has been given her hotel room. The cast. A production can decide on on casting the same sex, transgender, or heterosexual couple. Ages and ethnicities are open. Husband and wife are the characters. Scene 1. Lights up on husband and wife in bed, kissing with passion. Blackout. Scene two. A motel room on an interstate in the middle of nowhere. Period sound of cars driving by. The husband and wife are standing in the room and they are wearing different clothing. The wife is wearing a disguise, perhaps a wig and glasses, but the audience must know that it's her. Although the husband does not seem to. The wife is very nervous. She is not looking directly at the husband, but she is looking at her but he is looking at her with much interest and a slight smile. 
There must be some mistake. Have I, uh, have you talked to the clerk? He, he offered to give me my money back, but... You need the room. Yes, I've run out of gas and the nearest station... Is closed. Yes, and it's... It's too dark to venture out now. Yes, and... And there aren't any other rooms. She briefly catches his eye and looks away. Yes. I'd be lying if I said that I was unhappy to see you unpacking here. You think that the clerk... You know, young people... The quality of service, oh, it's a travesty. Yes. So, here we are. Two people destined for the same room. The only one left. There are two beds. Yes. However narrow. Hey, can't I at least get you to smile? Don't worry, I'm not a lunatic. I'm on my way to a convention. I... I promise not to bother you. She's silent, trying to find a way out of the mess that she's in. We don't have much of a choice. Might as well make the best of it. He moves to his briefcase and pulls out a flask. Like a drink? No. Thank you. She hasn't moved. She appears frozen to the spot. The room is silent as husband takes out some papers and begins to read them. He repeatedly glances at wife, who isn't moving. Is this a business trip or or pleasure? Neither. I'm... Running away? What? Are you running away from something? Someone? No. I'm... I don't have a specific destination. I can see that. You seem frozen to the spot. He crosses to her and begins to gently pull off her coat while putting his head very close to hers. Better take this wet thing off. Don't want you to freeze up. He hangs it up and moves back to work on the bed. Is that Oleon? What? Are you wearing Oleon? Yes. She finally moves into the little kitchen, uh, little dinette section and gets a glass of water, which she drinks rather quickly. The husband is pretending to read, but he's really observing her. So, no family obligations to tie you one place or another? No. No family? No. What about you? I had a wife. She used to wear Oleon. She turns away. Blackout. Scene three. The wife is facing the audience in the same outfit as scene two. I had to leave him to run away. But he was running also behind me and and he would catch up. I knew he would always catch up and if he found me... He never did hurt me, but I knew he would. If I ever left him and he found me. Blackout. Scene four. The motel several hours later. The husband is in the bathroom. We hear water running and gurgling noises. The wife is seated at a little kitchen table, sick with dread, not moving. The noises stop. The bathroom door opens. The husband emerges in his pajamas, pours a glass of milk, sits with the wife. You're not going to sleep? Probably not. What's wrong? Nothing. I get tense. Sometimes. I can see that. Perhaps I could... No. He gets up and stands behind her. I give the best back rubs. My wife always loved them. Before she can protest, he has his hands on her and is rubbing her shoulders. In my younger days, I I worked at a health club. I did massages for these big bruisers. My hands got very strong. Boy, you are tight. Relax. 
breathe into the pain. It is very important to keep the muscles loose. I don't remember exactly why. It has to do with blood flow and waste products. He's working down her back, keeping his face very close to hers. The wife is in a mixture of pleasure, attraction, and underlying fear at the moment. A pleasure and attraction are prominent. If you don't mind my asking, what happened to your wife? She left one day. Actually, she left last week. You don't know why? No. We were in love, I thought. Thought we were happy. Do you know where she is? Squeezing more now on her neck. I haven't the slightest idea. I'd like to find her. Why? To find out why. Ow. Sorry. I get carried away. You're angry at her? Would you... No. He moves quickly and kisses her, takes her hand. Come to bed. She follows. Blackout. Scene five. Wife is talking to the audience. He hadn't recognized me. Is that possible? I avoided him looking him straight in the eye, always a glance away. If I wanted to look him straight in the eye, would he know it was me? He wanted to go to bed and I wanted him. Rolling hills of his muscles, the perfect pattern of his, his pecs made. I used to trace him with my finger. The stubble on his cheeks, rough and dense. His smile, cockeyed but bright. I wanted him back. I wanted him. Blackout. Scene six. Very early the next morning. The wife is in the bathroom. Her suitcase is next to the door. She will be making her escape. The husband senses this, and he is drinking a glass of milk while blocking the door. The wife emerges from the bathroom and jumps slightly at the sight of him. Hello. Leaving so soon. I thought I'd head out early. For the gas? Why don't you let me give you a ba- uh, give you a ride? No, you have things to do. I'll be okay. The walk will do me good. It's eight miles to the nearest station. Well, someone will give me a ride. I'll, I'll give you a ride. No, you have things to do. Let's have breakfast. I need to go. No. Please, you have things to do. Stop I... saying that. I love you. She stops, but cannot respond. Last night meant nothing to you? You don't know me. You don't even know my name. You told me last night. It's Dorothy. Maybe I lied. He moves towards the bed and grabs a sweater from the floor. He stares at it. He moves. She moves towards him and puts out her hand, hoping to get the sweater before he recognizes her. She has her arm extended to get the sweater. Thank you. She grabs the sweater, but he does not immediately let it go. They are both holding it. She is still looking away, and he is still looking at her. And she finally looks at him. I have to go. They stare into each other's eyes. He lets go of the sweater, keeping eye contact now. Uh, Keeping eye contact. Now she backs away slowly to the door and backs out of the door with her suitcase. Blackout. Scene 7. Wife is talking to the audience. What are the odds? Thrust together by circumstance? His words were gentle, but was I crazy to run away? My inside screamed, run. I I didn't know why. I I couldn't prove his rage, but it was there, chasing me. Blackout. Scene 8. Down the road from the motel, winded and scared, the wife has found an old abandoned shack. She is hiding in the structure. The husband enters, searching for her with intensity 
and then exits. The wife begins to move. The husband re-enters and sees wife. They freeze in each other's gaze. The lighting abruptly changes, and husband approaches the wife. In slow motion, they struggle, and he grabs her and slaps her to the ground. The lighting should somewhat obscure the action, create a dreamlike atmosphere, and blunt the violence. Blackout. Scene 9. The wife in the appearance of the first scene, alone in a bed. The husband enters and, they, and moves to her and sits next to her on the bed, and she sits up. They embrace. End of play. All right. So we're going to move on to the portion of the show where we have a brief discussion about the play that we just read. But before we do that, I want to welcome back onto our panel, who did not read with us today, but is here, Liz Thomas. Welcome, Liz. So Liz, as somebody who was sitting and listening to the play, I'd like to start with the first question with you, which is always, what are your first impressions? This could be something as simple as, I liked it or I didn't, something specific. What did you think? Actually, it's... I have two. Um, it did spark a, a question for me that I've actually thought of quite a bit. Uh, but the first is that the, the simplest impression is that it, it does have a sort of noir kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. um, but it also feels very much like a film script. And that the second impression that I really have of it is, you know, I, I wonder if this could be a better film or if, um, and this is a question I have for the broader sort of theater community is a lot of people see more movies than they do see plays. And so the medium of theater, is it going to actually need to kind of shift and become more film-like in the way that it's told with these sort of, um, not chopped up, but these, these sort of series of scenes versus kind of one long monologue like you would have in Greek or Shakespearean drama mm -hmm. in, in order because that's what people expect that's what people's attention spans could actually perhaps take um i don't know about the data of that but but you know scientific data but yeah but it, this this uh play and i've noticed a few other plays they they're almost written more like um rather than stage plays they're written more like screenplays mm -hmm. and I, I think that's great in some ways but it does kind of again bring to mind the idea of the nature of theater and is it going to be changing and you know very simple impressions i'm sure this <laughs> no no i think those, i think that's legitimate yeah, yeah i mean it's, it's, cer yeah. it's certainly uh certainly an episodic Exa script right episodic, yeah. that's the better uh, almost yeah, almost like uh star wars like in how brief these yes. transitions are which could be very interesting um just to see it on the stage or just to see it in fact it might be interesting to see it both on the screen as well mm -hmm. as well as the stage but Again, I wonder if, um, you know, because people question about the survival of theater and, you know, our, our general audience is going to be expecting more episodic plays, again, versus the sort of grander narratives that have traditionally been written for the stage. I have to say, now that you say that, and especially looking at the end, that last scene where we come back to the beginning, mm -hmm. it's cyclical in that nature, mm -hmm. I think there could be something really fascinating in a... a film setting where you see slight inconsistencies or or playing with time because there really feels like there's an element that is playing with time here now i don't think that's uh mutually exclusive to a theatrical setting i just think sure. it's done in in different ways because in film you you have a greater attention to detail you have closer cuts there can be things in the background that that on a second or third viewing might make you ask questions whereas mm -hmm. i think 
with this as a theatrical piece, it relies so heavily on the play between husband and wife. Yes. How these is there uh, an underwhelming under you know that uh, overwhelming undercurrent of violence? <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Not an underwhelming overcurrent of violence. <laughs> um, does he recognize? I think that's where we're uh, really having some uh, table work with something like this yeah. could prove fascinating. Sure. Well, and the intimate nature of a theater, I mean, I think could really serve this because the whole like like you're saying, like, does he recognize her? Does he not recognize her? Um, you know, you can almost feel, I, I, I'm picturing in the theater, you can kind of feel like the collective holding of a breath for the entire audience of like, oh no, does he recognize like Dorothy or does her name or something, if that is even her name. I don't know if we actually know what her name is, but but I feel like that uh, the theater could be a more intimate setting for this versus film where you are kind of disconnected from it. Or if um, you put it on a... a, a thrust or a theater yes. in the round that she's yeah. seen something entirely different so if you sit on this side of the stage yeah. you see him turn around and pure anger in his eye whereas yeah, yeah, the yeah, other yeah. side of the like stage that. never sees yeah. that that flash of anger so there are essentially two different stories happening simultaneously mm-hmm. on stage depending on where you're sitting that'd be cool and actually it might be um if I was an audience member, then I'd come back for a second go too. So, hey, look at that ticket sales. But... <laughs> Good call. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's think practically. But no, I, th- I think that, that that thrust or arena space could be really interesting. What are your first impressions, uh, Sharon? Not my cup of tea. Sorry, uh-huh. Laura. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it felt like it was missing something to me. Okay. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. Um, okay. That's not even quite it. I mean, I got it, but I felt like there was something else needed. I I could see that. I definitely think that. I think it was aided in being able to read the stage directions. Sure. I'm not sure that all of the stage directions would necessarily have come across from a purely acting perspective. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to, to also see a little bit more in the way of, um, you know, what that interaction is. We only very quickly hint on why she left or how or why they don't recognize one another. It, it needed something else. It needed some backstory maybe this... or a flashback or, or maybe the whole yeah. thing was a flashback. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh... so this, this sort of is, is uh, this, this is sort of related to the two questions actually that I wanted to ask about the play. The first question is, how much do you buy this whole non-recognition thing? Uh, I mean, beyond the surface value, willing suspension of disbelief. I mean, he never seems to recognize her, or at least he doesn't say that he does, and she seems to believe that he doesn't recognize her, but does he recognize her? I thought it was a whole, honestly, from hearing it, I thought it was a whole, like, role-playing thing that they were ah, doing. okay. Like, after the first scene, it was the second scene was like, Oh, and now it's just this is going to be a series of of scenes uh, exploring kind of the the relationship between these two people through either their true selves or who they actually are or you know, the personas that they put on, be it you know, oh, like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's honestly um, it was just the way too the he was sort of the husband felt like or in scene two it felt like the husband was sort of leading her on to the answers of, you know, this is basically setting up, what was it? Is this a business trip or pleasure? Neither I'm running away. Are you running away from something? And, you know, 
that that idea of he's sort of finishing her sentences, like building up uh-huh. the the setting of this role playing. So I almost thought it was a willing, not only on the audience's part, but a willing suspension of disbelief on at least the husband's part, or maybe even the wife's part too. I mean, maybe the whole thing is that they do recognize each other, but they're both trying to deny that they do and. It's weird. It's weird. A tangled we weave. weave. Yes, <laughs> it's admittedly the weirdest staging of Escape by Rupert Holmes, better known as the Pina Colada song. <laughs> I, was <thinking> <laughs> I was thinking that. Do but, they get caught in the rain? They do. <gasps> yeah. Um, oh, no, uh, that does not say lightning. Never mind. See, in this, this <laughs> Nolan-esque world where Batman exists, but he has to be really dark, this is the same natural extension that's to why, that. That's why he takes her coat off, because it's wet, because they were caught in the rain. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So talking about, so, so, in, so in light of this, <laughs> um, uh, my other question is is about the staging. So how would you stage this? I know, Sharon, you said that this it seemed like there was missing something. Maybe something could be brought up in staging. Is there any sort of particular element? I'm thinking about... You know how you would get across that she was in a shack. I mean, we're, this is a ten-minute play, so chances are you're not going to have much set. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know when it's being staged someplace. Any thoughts about how you might stage it real quick? I, I think that again, there are some real elements with that idea of a theater in the round with a thrust stage that that you could mm-hmm. do. Um, this is my constant bias, but I think you're going to be relying on a good lighting designer to make something short like this work on stage. Now, all of that being said, though, as, as we look here and, and look at the uh, playwrights, playwrights list of um, accomplishments after it, there are several things that uh, state that she's written for short film, low budget films yeah. before. So going back to what you were originally saying, Liz, I, I don't think that the idea of if there is a medium that this particular work would be better suited to, that, that you should shy away from some of those things. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder, I, this, I think, the play leaves uh, a good amount of interpretation, maybe even for the director and for the cast or, and designers. Uh, I mean, scene eight, this would kind of be going against the playwright, so please do forgive me, Laura Lewis Barr. But the idea of if we really wanted to play with the relationship as being that suspension of disbelief on both of their parts and working with the lighting as well, you know, could this could it be like the motel room is not the greatest it's not like five star or anything like that and so when it says shack i mean you could kind of light it in a way that maybe using the dingier parts of the motel room could actually it's like they're they're role playing that they're in a shack versus i don't i'm not quite sure if i'm explaining it well but but yeah i I do agree that an arena space or a thrust space would be great um for this especially with those two different perspectives like you were talking about i know that We've exhausted a lot of this, but I, I, the thing that went through my head, especially with how it ends, is questioning whether or not everything in this was a uh, figment of her imagination if she did leave him. When we see how it ends, I could see very, very easily that being only a slightly longer version of the very first scene we see where they're embracing. Because that's, mm-hmm. the, again, the last thing that's said is they embrace. If we go back to you know the very end of the very first scene, it is... They're on a bed kissing with passion. So there is a way that everything that follows after this is really just what her fears are if she does leave him. Or, you know, just to throw another monkey wrench into the works, um, it could be that her fear is so great that it doesn't matter what he looks like in her mind. She looks like her. He looks like her husband. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. I'll buy that. I like that. (laughs) Awesome. 
Yeah. Well, it looks like <laughs> looks like Sharon got it after all. <laughs> yeah, uh, I sure you know, got theater right. <laughs> <laughs> we know there's only one answer ever. <laughs> Good job. The answer, as usual, is C. Oh. Uh, well, I want to thank uh, y'all for joining us here tonight. Let's make sure to thank Laura Lewis Barr for her play, The Motel. Thank you. Thanks to Joe and to Sharon and to Liz and our stage manager, Rachel, and of course, the sound techs who shall not be named just over <laughs> here. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe. You'll get a new play from us every two weeks. Until next time, I got to come up with a better tagline. Bye. <laughs> yeah.